Welcome to the Founder and Funder Experience, brought to you by Valence Advisory and Mattermade. This podcast serves to bring to light the different journeys select founders and funders took to get to where they are today. We hope their lives and their learnings continue to inspire both present and future innovators. Hello, everybody. My name is Arjun Dave Arora, and I am the founder and managing partner of Valence Advisory. We support founders and funders and help accelerate their efforts via people, strategy, and capital. And now off to John. Hi, John Lowe here, co-founder and advisor of Valence Advisory. I'm the lead on executive communications coaching. And uh, today's guest is Kendrick Nguyen, co-founder of Republic. What is Republic? Um, I'm not going to answer that. I'll let Kendrick do that. I'm sure he does a better job than I. And we're going to dive into his story as a founder, um, what he's learned, what he's done, and it should be an exciting 30 minutes. So Kendrick, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a bit about what are you working on now? Arjun and John, uh, thank you so much for having me today. Uh, and thank you for the warm intro. So Republic, to answer your question, John, uh, what started out as a crowdfunding or crowd investing platform uh, over the past four years now have matured into a full stack investment platform whereby we curate uh, the best startups and even private equity deals and bring that to our community. And people can invest from any background. You don't have to be a millionaire. You can be a student or a teacher and can invest as little as 10 or $20 into the, the opportunities that we have on the platform. Wow, oh, excellent. And so tell us about how you came up with the idea. Like, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, and what it's problem a simple question. No? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a simple question, but it's actually a really complicated question when it comes to uh, Republic and myself. You know, kind of taking a step back, I think all of us, everyone shares a common interest of wanting to, you know, make a difference, right? Service other people and do more than just ourselves. And I think it manifests in all different ways, uh, whether you're a parent, whether you're a son or daughter, uh, whether you're uh, you know, a spouse and professionally, of course. So that intention is one thing. And then the opportunities in life that happen to come on your horizon and combining the two is how each of us in our all different ways uh, capture opportunities and do what we do. Uh, so half of it is luck and half of it is intention. Uh, in my case, starting out as a you know attorney, as a, as a securities attorney, working in finance in in New York, and. I love being a lawyer, but it wasn't very fulfilling or adequately fulfilling. So I was a little ADD and went back to academia to teach law for a couple of years in Silicon Valley. And that was still not adequately fulfilling and, uh, or at least wasn't fulfilling for me. Uh, and I got an opportunity to come work uh, at AngelList pretty early on, just right at the time when AngelList rolled out a syndication model. And it was interesting in that the syndication model was the very first time that early stage investing was available beyond a few dozens in crew uh, that, you know, like Arjun obviously is a very well-known venture capitalist, uh, but before AngelList, you got to be, you know, Arjun and probably another 30 uh, people just like him to invest because what AngelList did is that it opened that up to millionaires or accredited investors, allowing these people with means to co-invest side by side with people like Arjun. And I think that kind of opened this window of opportunity 
opportunities for me and see the potential for a more democratized uh, venture ecosystem. Uh, so that coupled with a change of law under President Obama uh, that allow for non-accredited, you don't have to be a millionaire now to invest privately. And so taking that opportunity, uh, add on my legal background and obviously access to the venture ecosystem by virtue of being an early employee at AngelList, all of that combined together. And I was like, hey, there's a potential here to build like Amazon or like Uber for private investing that anyone, tons and tons of people participating as investor and funding more founders. So that's, you know, a little bit long winded of an answer to, uh, to your question. Oh, that's fine. We could hear you talk all day. And so Kendrick, you know, as you are aligning stakeholders to, to bring this more democratized approach to investing where, you know, if you have $10, you could still invest in a promising startup choice without having to be a millionaire. What, what were some of the key, maybe people challenges or legal mechanics that you had to navigate to, to make this even possible for other people? I have heard this feedback from no less than a few dozen VCs that the model in, in the early years, that the model that we set out to do is an incredibly challenging model because it's a two-sided marketplace in an industry that didn't exist and is still very nascent. And you're convincing people to do things they've never done before. So in the case of Uber, even though people didn't take taxis every day, everyone knows what taking a cab means. Even today, virtually no one knows what private investing means, right? Even a retired doctor who's a reasonably wealthy individual had never invested privately. So you got to educate and deliver a message in a way that is simple enough and quick enough to get people to understand and, and join. And so that, that, that process of reaching for mainstream adoption and get the message out there has been and will continue to be the biggest challenge and potential for what we're building. Yeah, that's well said. And so far with the efforts uh, you and the team have made to communicate this, what have you noticed has been uh, working well in terms of connecting and educating? Uh, you know, we're living in a very unusual time, this, you know, pandemic that is still ongoing. But in, in many ways, it's good for platforms that aim to do virtual education before the pandemic. Allegedly, somewhere reported that the average attention span someone had probably still someone has, is about nine seconds. So by the time you're done saying equity, crowdfunding, marketplace, startup investing, you're done, right? But now people are spending more time than ever. They got to be at home. Uh, so we have had the opportunity to deliver a message through webcast webinars, and that has been quite effective. So business has been going very well. But the the fact is, uh, the, the, the core message um, is one that's very relatable. If you look at the year 2030, 10 years from now, Boston Consulting Group estimated that 75% of Fortune 500 companies in the year 2030 have yet to exist today. 
So all of these household brands in the future, in the near term, they will dictate how we live and work now in someone's garages or someone's heads. So if you have an opportunity to put uh, what is a pitcher of beer nowadays or a cocktail, $10, $20 in innovation and in stories that you think maybe one of those, why wouldn't you? That's one from the economic perspective. And from the social perspective, it's kind of like voting with your money. Do you just want the bangs and Sequoia of the world to, to tell you which household brands will be in the future? Future or which you want to have a chance to participate. So I think that is a message that particularly for millennials, more and more people will want that level of engagement. Uh, so I think it's an easy message to get through once you can reach and get their attention span. So we hope that uh, as things become more normalized, that we will continue to be able to deliver the message. And right now we have 700,000 community members, but the hope is that it's going to be 700 million millions uh, at one point, right? So, yeah, which is uh, still very early on in, in on, on this journey. Wow. Yes, very early. And uh, Kendra, just to change things up a bit, I also, like, I know you did, um, you have experience as a COO and doing ops in the companies previous to Republic on top of being a general counsel, right? What are some of the things as a CEO now do you most enjoy? And what are some of the things you feel like you're probably growing into a bit more? Ah, uh, that's a great question. Yes, uh, at AngelList, uh, it's a very flat structure. So internally, everyone's a venture hacker and you gotta, you know, do everything, right? Um, and before that, I was uh, a COO for a, uh, you know, multi-family office. And so I was familiar with operating, but never as like kind of like the, the bucket stop with me type role. I got to say the most fun aspect, not so much being a CEO, but being just a founder is that you get to see, you know, like slowly, what is a vision taking form and delivering, you know, fruits one step at a time. And in that process is also building a family. Uh, and so given that, I mean, I don't have, um, I've cleaned out my personal life so that I can dedicate all in on this. So I don't have like, aside from my parents and my siblings, Republic is actually more of like a family than, than that word, uh, than people use that work in the context of work is truly a family. But, you know, my analogy is this, uh, if someone gives you an orchid and they buy it from Whole Foods or Costco, it's really nice and you really enjoy it, but you actually don't enjoy it as much as if you, someone give you that orchid and then no longer flowers, but you keep watering it. And then like one day, there's just one, like, you know, just, yeah, like scraggy stem coming up and one flower comes out. Somehow that flower is so much more satisfying and enjoyable than this beautiful orchid that someone buy from the store and deliver it to you and sit in your living room, right? So in very much the same way, when you try a larger organization and step in and do the things that you do, there's a lot of like pride and, and joy that comes with it. But uh, doing your own startup, it doesn't matter if it's a photo shop or a barber shop or something like Republic um, is every day that that little growth that delivers this amazing satisfaction and it still does today. 
Yeah, beautifully said. That's really nice. Yeah, yeah, that is nicely said. And you describe how Republic and your team there and what you're building is like your family now. What are some of the unique ways you describe the Republic family <laughs> that would say if Arjun or I walked on the street and we met someone, we'd be like, they are definitely a Republic person. <laughs> <laughs> Well, also a question that should be easy to answer. And yet in, in our case, or in my case, it's harder to answer. Maybe I'm just, um, haven't had enough coffee today. You know, I'm not sure that there, there was only one common trait, uh, is that all of us believe in do good and do well. And that mm. the notion of, 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 uh, wealth equity. But yes. I think a lot of people believe in that. And, and so if you see someone on the street who passionately believe in, uh, you know, just access and inclusion, it'd be a little, you know, grandiose of me to say that that's like a republic thing. It's a lot of people share that mission. The reason why they ease in a particular mode, aside from just uh, grit and mission-driven and intelligence, the reason is that what we're building, the model for Republic is so large and difficult and ambitious, and it requires literally the support of all different subsectors of the ecosystem. And I would say, if you look at our advisory board, um, and that's similar to our team members' composition at a, at a lesser degree, we have not just you know well-known venture capitalists and, and those who uh, have been investing for a long time in tech. We have people from Impact, uh, you know, like Shiza Shahid of the Malala Fund. We have people from the government. We rely heavily on media. Uh, that is TV shows and radio and, and, uh, quite frankly, if Kim Kardashian ever wanted to, to promote a republic, I'll tattoo her name on my forehead, right? So we really don't over prioritize any specific mode. It's a very non Silicon Valley way. I can say this and probably my friends at AngelList wouldn't like this too much. But at the time when I was at AngelList, if you have an MBA or if you come from traditional finance, there's probably a disqualifying element. And at Republic, we got to be able to build relationship with traditional finance as well as those in LA together with folks uh, in Silicon Valley to make it work. And so our team members come from all of these different ecosystems. We have equal depth in terms of team uh, representation from finances we do from impact from tech. Uh, so uh, I got to say that aside from intelligence and just the belief in the mission that we, uh, of what we're building and, and that, uh, that grit, um, there isn't one specific mode. Wow. Thank you for yeah, sharing that. You. That's um, very helpful and insightful. Uh, totally agree. And, and having, having such a diverse set of people from both in terms of expertise, where they come from, and probably not just geographical, but probably uh, age and gender diversity. Do you find or have you observed that the rate of learning within your team is rather exponential just because you're bringing together so many diverse perspectives from people in all subsectors of industry? 
Uh, when it comes to to learning, uh, I think it's a, such a subjective thing that I can only reflect on my own experience. It's hard for me to say which one of my colleagues has been learning more or less. But I know that I personally have been learning from every single new member uh, joining the company, including interns and people who are very new. And uh, it does come uh, with also a, uh, not a burden, but a challenge of making sure that people get along, listen to one another's idea. And I think the one learning that all of us at Republic and I think in society at large is that if you're um, a diverse group from experiences and expertise and age group or whatnot and come to work together and inevitably you learn to be more patient and you got to learn how to listen to different ideas more in a more positive fashion because uh, you have to do it in order to uh, to move the one common thing forward. Uh, so yeah, probably patience is the one thing that all of us you know, have been learning more and more. And you also see a lot of more like healthy conflict or debate go on. And given that you're bringing such diverse perspectives together to solve a very challenging problem, arguably one that requires contrarian thinking. You mean confrontation or uh, um, what, what do you mean? Healthy, healthy disagreement. <laughs> Yeah, the exploration of different ideas, debate, coming to new conclusions through discussion. Yeah, Yeah. being heated but still respecting one another. There's a, if I may share a little bit about our values, and it's a very short. We would love it. Yeah, please. Thank you. You know, value set. And it took a while for us to come up with it in something that's simple and relatable, but things that really matter to us. Uh, the, the piece on doing your role well and trying to help one another are two things that are important. I think that. Uh, the same at any company, but the single most important, I think, value for me, in fact, it is a firing offense. If you go so far against it is positivity. It doesn't matter what you do or disagree on. The only way to be optimally helpful and make sure that you enjoy your own experience and that your colleague enjoy your own experience is that you got to be positive. So if you disagree in positivity, it naturally going to be, you know, additive, uh, you know, constructive. And the moment that you disagree, but with that, that lens of negativity, I mean, you got to stop, go grab a cup of coffee and resume later. So there is no prescription on how to do that, except that I think in life in general, and particularly in a, a work environment where you spend so much of your awake time interacting that at no, at all, almost at all costs, uh, to be relentlessly positive in behaviors, in communication style, and in communication on Slack is uh, the singular most important thing that I myself still try to be better at it. And I really do encourage, if not Cadillac outright mandate, that um, people at Republic approach that process internally and externally. Oh, thank you. Thanks for sharing your values. And for yourself, as you've been practicing and getting better at it yourself, is that something uh, you often reflect on, you know, after your work day, 
do you, do you have your own rituals around it? I do. I do. Uh, and it goes to uh, a slight personal philosophy in a way that uh, people do things for different reasons. And even though there is a mission to Republic, at the end of the day, uh, I think that the reason why we do what we do is because we want to be happy and feel pleasant. And that process is a very personal process, but the goal is indeed, uh, at least on my end, that I never have a day whereby more than 10% of that day that I feel annoyed, much less angry or much less unhappy. And I think I feel very fortunate that my life is such that I... 90 plus percent of the time can meet that benchmark that I'm out of a day, I'm 90% or more uh, feeling pleasant. That's a combination of I try to meditate, I'm still so bad at it. It's uh, an incredible thing and it's so helpful, but I'm just a little ADD. And so I do it not well, but I mix in there some working out and, you know, drinking with friends and colleagues. Uh, so all of these things is no recipe, uh, but I think it's just something that all of us should be a little bit more in touch. And I see a lot of people in New York in particular, when I take the subway to work, uh, back before this whole lockdown thing. And you look at a, you walk into a subway in Manhattan and it's literally packed like sardines with like maybe a hundred, 150. And you do a quick scan of everyone's faces and it's like 80% have this like long, sad face. And I don't get it. It's like you are alive, healthy, professional in uh, this awesome city and why does everyone look so down? And I think it's really all in their mind. And I think if they're just a little bit more aware of it, it doesn't matter what you do, whether you're a doctor or a custodian or a lawyer who's working 80 hours a week. Uh, it's obviously your own choice to be happier. And that's very much within your power. So, uh, yeah, I, I, it's just something that I do try to be mindful of it almost like every day. Well, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a, I think that's a good place to uh, leave the mic on the table. It's a nice high. Yeah. Is there anything else that you'd like to share? Anything else around kind of what you're building that you'd like to let the audience know before we uh, wrap it up? Yes. Uh, we actually introducing something that's cool and it's truly the first of its kind ever in the US. Up until now, that's not something that we could say, but with this product, it is truly the case. We rolling out a digital securities, basically a token that has profit sharing rights. Uh, so essentially when a company on Republic sees a successful exit, there's going to be a small payout to every token holders. And it happens to be, again, truly the first time widely available to both accredited and non-accredited investors. So you can even earn it, um, but the token sale is going to happen on July 16. But uh, whether you earn it or invest, if you hold 10 tokens, or 100 tokens or 100,000 tokens, uh, when a company goes IPO, all of a sudden you're going to see a dividend payout uh, as a token holder. So Check it out, republic.co slash N-O-T-E. It's called the Republic Note Token. Republic.co, everyone. Calendar it in for 16th of July. Um, 
And obviously, before then, even they Republic.co have plenty of educational resources to understand how you can get involved at any level that suits you specifically. And um, thank you, Kendrick, for being on the show. Uh, This is the first feature he has on the show, and I hope it won't be the last. And uh, we hope to see you soon. Thanks so much, Kendrick. Sean and Arjun is uh, really such a pleasure and can't wait to, uh, to come back whenever you would have me.